In the autumn of 1981, ITV aired an 11-part adaptation of Elon Waugh's novel, Brides Had Revisited. The previous spring, Chariots of Fire had been released. Both were hugely successful and more period dramas followed. On TV, there was The Far Pavilions and The Jewel in the Crown, set at opposite ends of the Raj. In the cinema in 1982, Gandhi swept the Oscars, and two years later, David Lean adapted Ian Forster's A Passage to India. And there then came a flurry of literary adaptations, such as The Shooting Party, Morris, and The Handful of Dust. These movies belong to what is called heritage cinema, a genre that yearns for a supposedly simpler, finer past, a bygone era of idyllic plenty. Heritage cinema encourages revivals, fashions, interior designs, and tour guides through country estates. In a word, it is nostalgia. It's no accident that the arrival of the heritage film climaxed an identity crisis that had been brewing in Britain since the late 1940s. By 1979, the trade unions had turned their industries into an international joke, and unemployment stood at 1.5 million. By 1981, it had risen to 2.5 million. There was widespread strikes, and it all exploded with race riots in Brixton, Toxteth, Mossside and Handsworth. So for all that fragile sense of identity, it's curious that the best heritage film, indeed one of the best films to emerge from Britain in the last 30 years, was produced by a Jesuit-educated Indian Muslim, written by a German Jewess, and directed by an American Protestant. I'm talking of A Room with a View. Ishmael Merchant and James Ivory were a couple from the moment they met in New York in 1961 through to Merchant's death in 2005. During their time together, they made 25 feature films, Merchant producing and Ivory directing. And no less than 19 of those films were written by Ruth Prower Jabvala. And although they collaborated throughout the 60s and 70s, it wasn't until 1996, when they adapted Ian Forster's Comedy of Manners, that they broke out of the art house and into the multiplex. Considering it's about class, affectation and the desire to escape the very conventions that so often accompany privilege, it is somewhat ironic that Merchant Ivory scored their first big hit with this film. Certainly it offers great beauty, Florentine art, luscious landscapes and opera. But because most of the characters are snobs, the beauty does not liberate them as much as trap them. While travelling through Tuscany, Lucy Honeychurch, a young upper-class English girl, experiences the first throes of passion. But once back home in Gentile Surrey, she accepts a marriage proposal from Cecil Vyse, the absolute epitome of conceited privilege. Lucy! It was Helena Bonham Carter's first feature film, and her awakening idealism is wonderfully matched by the ageing idealism of Denholm Elliott. But for me, the film belongs to a set of performances by Daniel Day-Lewis, Maggie Smith, Judy Dench and Simon Callow, each of whom in their own way portray a snobbery and pretension, which ironically mirrors precisely the snobbery and pretension of the audiences who marvel at Merchant Ivory films. You know the sort. People who go to see a movie only if it's adapted from a highly regarded novel. I have a view, so does George. My son George here. You can have our rooms and we'll have yours, we can change. But why shouldn't you have them? Thank you very much indeed. We could not impose on your kindness. Why? You see, we wouldn't, Lucy. Women like looking at a view. Men don't. George, persuade them. 
It's obvious they should have the rooms. There's nothing else to say. Signora? No, no, thank you. Why shouldn't you change? We can clear out in half an hour, 15 minutes. It's ridiculous, these niceties. They go against common sense. Every kind of sense. I don't care what I see outside. My vision is within. Here is where the birds sing. Here is where the sky is blue. Not so much a romantic comedy as it is a romance with comedic elements, A Room with a View charts Lucy's liberation from convention. This convention is personified by Cecil, a snob so stuck up his own metaphor that, to paraphrase the words of his rival George Emerson, he can only appreciate a woman if she were an object. It is George who knows that love has to be lived. But he's the sort who can't know anyone intimately, least of all a woman. He doesn't know what a woman is. He wants you for a possession, something to look at, like a painting or an ivory box. Something to own and to display. He doesn't want you to be real and to think and to live. He doesn't love you. But I love you. I want you to have your own thoughts and ideas and feelings, even when I hold you in my arms. Most of the characters are caged by their preoccupations with propriety, class and custom. So it is up to our two young lovers to make room for passion. Hardly groundbreaking themes, but the great thing about this film is that it wears its themes like gossamer. Yet it's right there from the very opening scene when Lucy throws open the shutters of her little room in Florence only to be disappointed because she cannot see the River Arno. This is not at all what we were led to expect. I thought we were going to see the Arno. So whether the young Lucy is aware of it or not, she's in search of not just a better room or a room with a better view, but a happier life. And that happier life is secured by opening the shutters of your heart and living in Tuscany.